Chapter 5 The Training Yard That time his guests in the Black Tower passed without incident. Several noble lords and lesser families came and went, making calls on Lord Olney Braden. The steward visited each day and made sure that Vosler wanted for nothing. Corey Rush, for his part, spent the day interrogating the merchants who made their way to and from the fortress. He spent time in the main square as well, studying the wares and methods of older and more successful courses. Neither of them had seen the Lord of Bradhall since that first morning, which suited Vosler well enough, as high company always made him uncomfortable. The duelist spent the time practicing a little in the training yard of the barracks, or else stretching on the floor and going on long walks. He found, over the years, that it took him several days of stretching to feel ready for a duel. The walks, on the other hand, helped keep his joints in motion and his mind clear. Though he would wield the sword some in the afternoons, unlike most other duelists and soldiers, he preferred not to do intense training before a fight. On the third day, Voslo passed the time sitting on a bench at the training barracks in a narrow sliver of shade, his back resting against the stone. It was a dusty patch of square earth with no protection from the blazing sun other than the walls. On one far side there were some training dummies, and near to them a line of targets for archers to practice with. Against the wall opposite Vosler were racks of all sorts of weapons, spears, halberds, swords both short and long, one-sided hand axes, and double-sided war axes. On pegs and hooks that had been beat into the stone there hung kite shields, rounded bucklers, square shields, and the tall rectangular ones meant to be used in a shield wall. Most of them bore the device of the Braden family, but other family crests could be seen as well, no doubt from noble families that donated supplies to the fortress. With the unrest in the countryside, most castles and fortresses that could afford to do so were ordered to levy new militias. That meant training new recruits, as much as it meant getting veteran soldiers back into the yard to loosen their sword arms back up. The dance was a thing that could be forgotten if you only danced a few times. He wondered, as he watched them, if it would even be possible for him to forget how to fight how to parry, how to spin or advance or retreat all in measured form. He thought not. One young man was getting the best of his fellows. The arms marshal of the Black Tower had appointed him anchor. It meant he would stand in the center of the yard and take on challenger after challenger, so that he might experience the need to press skill beyond the lines of exhaustion. It was a good drill, one of Vosler's favorites when he had been a young man, and the favorite of his mentor as well. The young fighter, however, had horrible form— his string of small victories was due to a size advantage over his peers and little else. The youth had rusty brown-red hair and wore a black leather brigandine with brass buckles that caught the formidable sunlight of the clear blue sky above them. He was shirtless beneath it, allowing open skin from his shoulders to his leather braces. He wore a simple brown leather cap for protecting his head. His youthful face beneath it was covered in beaded sweat. Voslo guessed that the boy might be sixteen years of age, but he was already as tall as the master duelist. When the next boy in line entered to fight the tall one, Vosler stood and grabbed his ironwood weapon, then walked towards them both. "'May I?' he asked the arms marshal. The marshal was a stout and broad man, bald, wearing a long surcoat that ran near to his knees. It was tan with red stripes, and a golden eagle with its wings spread was embroidered over the left breast. Vosler was never good at guessing the sigils of the noble houses, though. 
He just knew that if they wore such colours and odd markings, it meant they were the son or the brother or father of some such noble line. He regarded Vasla sceptically for a moment before recognising him. You must be the master duelist staying here at our lord's request. Stuck here at your lord's request, I'd say, Vasla grunted. The arms marshal grinned at that and then turned to the youth serving as anchor, the tall one. Now you listen well. It's not often you get instructions from a famous duelist. Famous duelist? The boy gave Vaslo the same skeptical look that the arms marshal had been wearing just a moment earlier. Vaslo Stepman, the marshal barked. Straighten your back, boy. Come on. The young fighter straightened himself up but still looked confused. That's not right. Haven't you heard any of the stories? He has long brown hair pulled back tight in a bun. The three sisters of Lorenz had never seen such beautiful brown hair, and that's why they snuck away with him from beneath the nose of their lord father, and laid with him for an eve on the beach of the Emerald Lake. Vazlo laughed from his belly at that. I wasn't allowed back in Lorenz for almost twenty years. Then he ran his fingers through his patchy, short, thin hair. Let that be a lesson to you, what time can do to a head of hair. But no, I wasn't thinking to instruct you quite yet, seeing as you're the one who's been winning. He put his shoulder on the smaller lad who would come up for the next fight. It's you I'll be helping. The marshal's lip curled a little into a frown, but then pressed them back into a straight line. He gestured towards the taller youth and said, This is the eldest son of Sir Maros of Fosterwood, and destined for knighthood himself one day. Would your lessons not be better spent on him? Vasla regarded the young man again. There is nothing to stop him from watching and listening. Might be one day he fights a man taller than himself. Are you really Vaslo Stepman? The shorter, younger boy asked. If I'm not, then my memories have some explaining to do, he said with a smile, and the shorter boy laughed a little, and pushed his curly brown hair back with his fingers before covering his head in a leather cap. Vaslo continued, Have you ever heard of the fight between the Kingsglaive, Skolson Horfrost, and Anne Both boys nodded, and the tall one interjected. Skolson won that day. Everyone knows it, and he's a hulking brute of a man. He looked down at the shorter boy with an arrogant little smirk. The duelist nodded. Quite right. As black luck had it, though, I was at the Battle of the Badlands, in Geras Elrond's regiment. When Skolson rode up on his steed, monstrous man atop monstrous oars, I swear, no man ever had to bend his neck so far back to look up at another. That's precisely the part of the story they don't tell you about, though. Skolson rode up, fresh and untouched. Colonel Sturgis's vanguard had smashed the Shinar's forces so thoroughly that the Kingsglaive didn't even get to see any of the fighting. Stupid Darklanders, the tall boy said defiantly. How crazy does a group of barbarians have to be to think they can challenge the might of the Concordant? The Marshal and Vazlo Stepman exchanged a quiet glance that said, Oh, to be young and full of faith. A great deal of propaganda surrounded the Darkland Coalition and its attack on the Concordant. Children in the Concordant, especially noble ones, were raised to believe that anyone who lived beyond its borders was little better than an evil barbarian. The Concordant with its nine states was the shining lamp of culture, reason, and science, in a world ruled and ruined by superstition and hedonism. At least, that is what the curriculum at any reputable and state-sanctioned academy would lead one to believe. Vaslo, for his part, had to admit that he had never been to the Darklands, and didn't know who or what lived out there, nor how. He remembered the soldiers of Shanar de Hura, though. They wore scale mail, or else plates, and boiled leather as good as any of the armies of the Concordant could boast. Their troops fought in organized battalions, regiments, and units. They rode horses of clear and fine pedigree. Colors, flags, and emblems suggested that the people of the Darklands also had notable or reputable families and lords. When he had stabbed one of them through the chest, the fear that looked back at him from those eyes was the fear of any man. 
One of those barbarians was Ansethor, who, for being a Darklander, is still a name known by almost all here in the Concordant, Boslow said. When Skullson rode up to challenge him, Ange had been fighting man after man after man, building a pile of bodies at the only place the Orlac could safely be forded. This alone is how the Shinar was able to make an escape with a few of his guards. Any man, even Ange, would have been nearly exhausted by the time that challenge was issued and accepted. He still lost, though, the shorter boy said from under his cap. That's right, he did. But he took his time doing it, I'll tell you, Vaslo answered. Skullson stands a hand or more taller than the tallest man. Ange, however, was shorter than me. Shorter than you, he said to the tall boy. And he was tired. Still, he fought Skullson for a long time, and they traded blow against blow evenly. There are some who think that Ange would have won the fight if they had been both rested. I wouldn't go that far, the arms marshal said, a stern look about his face. Skullson was the shining hero of the battle and the war, and it was taboo to suggest he could have lost to a foreigner. Vazo didn't feel like getting into it. I'm not one such person, though. Skullson is a peerless fighter. Still, I'll admit that Ange gave the Kingsglaive a run for a shill, more than any other man ever did, or has since. So how did he do it, when he was exhausted and so much shorter than his opponent? He waited for an answer, but the two youths just exchanged uncertain and bored looks. Footwork and positioning. He answered himself, then took a balanced stance with one foot slightly forward and his rear leg gently bent. You beat a weaker man with strength, a stronger one with agility, a taller man with positioning, and you beat all men by footwork. See? The arms marshal said loudly and proudly, then thumped the shoulder of the tall youth of the wooden sword. Footwork! If you won't hear it from me, hear it from the famous master duelist Voslo Stepman. Voslo lifted his wooden sword, which looked almost silver in the bright noon light, and squared his shoulders towards the tall boy. Attack me, he invited. The sixteen-year-old smiled a cocksure smile that said, Aren't you too old to be fighting? He lifted his wooden sword and turned it over in his hands, as though inspecting it, then suddenly lunged forward and brought the weapon overhead. When he slammed it down, though, Vosla wasn't there. The boy had so expected a parry that the lack of resistance caused him to nearly lose his balance. The duelist gently tapped the side of the boy's head with his ironwood. Expectation is deceit, and certainty is ruin. You can never know what a man will do until he does it. He stepped away and lowered his weapon, turning to the shorter lad. Fighting a taller man is, mostly, a fight of the mind. When we feel small, it makes us feel weak. When we are tall, it makes us feel strong. But feelings and facts are different things. Whose mind defeated our young lording here? Mine or his own? Yours? The smaller one said uncertainly. Vaslo shook his head. His? He gestured to the other young training boys who had gathered around in a circle to try and listen to the master duelist. He is taller than nearly everyone here. That makes him feel stronger, and that he has the advantage from above. Some part of him believes that if he just hammers at you from his high place, he will squash you as a little person. Taller people will fight with overhead strikes almost every time. He does, though, one of the other youths piped in from the side, and he beats us almost every time. And that is because of your mind, Voslo explained. Before the fight even begins, you expect to be holding your weapon up, taking blow after blow from above. You already intend to retreat. That is not the way. So we should expect big guys to use overhead strikes, another boy asked. Do not expect them to. Do not expect anything. Just be aware of it the same way you might be aware of the color of grass. When I look at grass, I have no fear of it, and I do not expect it to do anything at all. There is no emotion invested in the color of it, and I have no hopes or fears regarding it. Still, I know what it is. I know it will grow. I know if it rains that it may turn green once more. That is enough. 
just let it be what it is. Grass. Likewise, let him be what he is, a tall boy. Regard him with knowing, but not with expectation, Vaslo said. The shorter boy held up his wooden weapon and moved forward, squaring himself to the lordling. I think I'm ready, he said. The older, taller boy took his weapon and held it out. When the marshal signaled to begin, he took a quick step forward and brought his weapon up over his head. The shorter boy threw a sword up in an arc, expecting to deflect the overhead blow, but the lordling quickly changed stances and brought his wooden sword in a circle to his right, coming in under the arms of the shorter boy and catching him in the ribs. When the struck boy gasped for air, the lordling laughed. Vaslo put a hand on the smaller boy's shoulder. Say it back to me. Expectation is deceit, and certainty is ruin. The boy nodded. Expectation is deceit, and certainty is ruin. Why did you get hit? Vaslo asked. Because I expected him to strike from overhead. That's right. The duelist put his ironwood sword on the ground and beckoned for the tall lordling to square up with him again. I was telling you about Ange Thor. I have told you the first part of success, and this applies to all fights with all people, whether man to man or else army against army. Expectation is deceit, and certainty is ruin. I have no doubt Ange fought from this mindset as well, as to how he held his own against such an overpowering foe as the king's glaive. Watch. He looked at the tall boy. Attack me. Without a second's hesitation, the lordling dashed forward, the tip of his wooden sword reaching out for Vaslo's chest. He knocked it wide with the base of his palm and took a step towards the boy. The young man brought his weapon back and tried to hack at Vaslo's neck from an angle, but the duelist ducked easily under it and took another step in. The boy retreated a step or two, but then came in overhanded to attack Vaslo's unarmored head. The duelist easily swatted it aside while taking another step forward, then grabbed the collar of the boy's brigandine, jerked him sharply forward, and tripped up his feet so that he fell headlong into the dry dust of the training yard. Some of the other lads cheered then, happy to see their constant foe cast down at last, but then the marshal silenced them with a serious stare. Vosla walked over and helped the tall boy up from the ground, dusting him off a bit. You have tremendous potential, he assured him. Yet no one learns without defeat. You're undefeated. The dirty teen pouted, his face all twisted in a frown, brown dust clinging to the first signs of a mustache. I said no one learns without defeat. That doesn't mean it has to be your defeat. I call this learning over there. Then he turned to another tall boy that was among the group surrounding them, though he was not so tall as the lordling. Did you learn anything by watching all of this? He nodded emphatically. Very much, Master Stepman. Very, very much. And were you defeated? No, the boy answered. Vosla regarded everyone with a look. See? He learned from all the way over there. Always learn from both victory and defeat, your own and others. I was already a grown man and accomplished duelist when I watched the fight between Arnsithor and Skulls and Horfrost. Still, I learned more watching their duel than I did from the hundred duels I had already won. When I saw them fight, I understood, for the first time, why our more superstitious ancestors sometimes revered a person as a god. I was there myself. The arms marshal chimed in with his rough and brisk voice. I'd never seen anyone fight as they did, nor for that matter, as you did just now. Tell me, Master Duelist, what style is this, to always advance? Vaslo chuckled and shook his head. It was a principle my master taught to me, when fighting a tall man, advance, because he feels he should be the one advancing. Take that from him. When fighting a smaller man, then learn to fight and win while retreating, for they expect to do that themselves, and so you take that away. Whatever a person stands on, take it from them. I knew this well and used it to some good effect throughout my life, but it was not until I saw how Ange moved that I truly understood it. Since then, I have mastered it with much practice. 
The marshal cleared his throat and held himself upright, then offered a small bow. Might the master duelist consider extending his stay a little bit, so that our boys could benefit from more lessons? I would see to it that you were paid well. It was Corey Rush's voice that answered, to Vosler's surprise. Lord Einthotto is already expecting us within the week, I am afraid. Good sir. Vosler knew who the land baron of the Riverlands was, but as far as he could remember, had made no arrangements to go and see him. Still, even if he didn't, he couldn't stay and train them anyways. He offered a bow to the marshal himself and explained. I cannot, nor would it be wise. You see, my art is the art of man against man in single and undisturbed combat. These men must learn to fight in shield walls and ordered units. They must learn how to pick their foe from the myriad, and how to rely on each other for support and defense. Today they have seen and heard how I fight. My art might save their lives in a tavern or on a street one day, but it is your art which they must depend on to serve the realm. That is the best gift I can hope to give them, if they will but remember it. We'll remember it, the tall lordling said. Thank you, Master Duelist. He offered Vosler a little bow, and then all the other boys of the yard did as well. Vosler felt his cheeks turn red and laughed. That's quite enough, you lot. Now, say it with me, all at once. Expectation is deceit and certainty is ruin, a chorus of young voices shouted as one. That's right, Vosler smiled. Say it often. He broke away with Corey and together walked from the yard. He remembered, as they went, all the times he heard his own master say those words. Expectation is deceit and certainty is ruin. Nearly every training session began with it. The master duelist saw Fun Hooded many little quips and sayings about dueling, and in Vosler's four years as the man's apprentice, he had memorized every one of them. Safan liked to say things such as, If you're going to be stupid, then you have to be strong. Or, If you're going to be weak, then you have to be smart. He said, It is always better to smile than to rage. And also, Pain is the breaking of the shell that limits your understanding. He had sayings about women, too, once he had some drink in him, but Vosler would not memorize those. It was an excellent lesson, Corey said, tearing Vosler from his memories. How much of it were you there for? he asked. Most of it. I think I missed something in the beginning, but you were gearing up for your first little bout with the tall lad when I got there, Corey answered. The lordling that was serving as anchor. He has promise, Vosler said. He happens to be tall, but that's not the only reason he was winning. When he changed his stance with that opening strike and turned an overhand into a horizontal maneuver, that was good footwork. He'll be formidable one day. Though he failed to turn his grip, Corey pointed out. The master duelist raised an eyebrow at that. It's true, but I didn't expect you to catch something so subtle. He stopped walking, and after a few more steps, Corey stopped as well and turned to him. You did not mention that you've some knowledge of the dance. The merchant shrugged. I think that blonde bastard back at East Cross showed I'm not much of a fighter. My father was, though. He was a duelist of no particular renown, but I saw him practice often enough, and he sometimes coached me, hoping one day I might take up the trade. I see, Vaslo said grimly. He died as a duelist then. He did. Corey worried the side of his cap with his fingers for a moment, then sighed and smiled. That was his life, though. He didn't make much, but he made more than some and left it to me. I was orphaned, like I told you before, but I didn't grow up on the streets. I kept my father's house and even had enough to my name to retain a serving woman. When at last I was a man, I used what remained of my father's savings to start my life as a courser. What was his name? Might I have known him? The duelist asked. Corey shook his head and waved it off. As I said, he was of lesser renown. Let's speak of more famous duelists. Are you ready for your challenger? We are only two days off now. Vosler frowned a moment and fixed the angle of his duelist pin over his old white shirt. The maids of the Black Tower had washed his long-sleeved shirt for him. 
Initially, they wouldn't return it, insisting that he take some clothes from their guest wardrobes instead. They hadn't given it back until he pretended to challenge them to a duel for it. I am always ready for a duel, Vaslo answered. That is why I'm still alive. Knowing about it a few days early is a nicety I am rarely afforded. I wish we could have dissuaded the Lord from this idea entirely. I am in your debt for it, Corey acknowledged. The promised supplies will keep us funded for some time. It makes up for what the highwaymen stole three weeks ago. Instead of a third of the profits, I'll split whatever we get from his lordship evenly. I don't need the shell, Vaslo grunted. The water is welcome, and the wine to be sure. But I accept it because Lord Olney Brayton has us at his disposal. I've heard mixed things about the man, and I feared if I turned him down even after his pleading, he would simply force me to do it under less flattering circumstances. So then I thought, why not see to some good fortune wearing Black Lux clothes? It is highly esteemed, in duelist circles, to have a royally or nobly sponsored duel. There will be word of it sent wide, and afterwards people will share their account. It has been a long time since I did something worth much recognition. Seems to me that you wouldn't need much more esteem, Cordy reasoned. You're the most famous duelist in the country. I was the most famous duelist in the country, Vaslo corrected sternly. Haven't you heard a thing people have said about me? That I can't be Vaslo Stepman, because he has beautiful long brown hair. That I can't be Vaslo Stepman, on account that he fights with two swords at once. This, and other stories, they're all from my youth. My name has gotten away from me, like a long shadow, running along ahead of me and no longer resembling the person casting it. The world knows Vaslo Stepman wrestled a tiger in one, that he killed the twins in a single strike, that he bedded the ladies of Lorenz. Let them learn that he grew old too. There is a lesson in that for everyone, I think.